Network Automation Nerds podcast. Hello, Network Automation Nerds. This episode is brought to you by Network to Code. Network to Code is a network automation company that continues to give back a tremendous amount to the community through open source contributions, blogs, conferences, and podcasts like this one. They recently launched the Network to Code University, another major milestone for them and the whole industry. It is a one of a kind talent development program aimed at transforming early in career network engineers into network automation engineers. So, if you're a network engineer early in your career and looking to dive into network automation and net DevOps, you must check out NTCU. Applications are open until the end of May. If this sounds interesting to you, you can find more information at go.networktocode.com forward slash NTCU. Once again, that's go.networktocode.com forward slash NTCU. Now, back to the show. Hello, and welcome to Network Automation Nerds Podcast, a podcast about network automation, network engineering, Python, and other technology topics. My, my name is Eric. I'm your host. Today on the show, we'll be discuss a topic that's near and dear to my heart, something I have been doing for the last six years or so, give or take, and probably my primary side project during that time frame. I'm talking about book publishing. Today, I'm joined by my two fellow authors, Tim McConaughey and Nick Russo. And in particular, we'll be talking about self-publishing technical books. I am super excited about this topic and to have what, in my opinion, all-stars on the show, Tim and Nick. And I know we'll have a good time. So let's dive in. Hello, guys. Hey, Tim. Hey, Nick. How's it going? It's going well. I mean, from what I've seen Tim tweeting out <laughs> constantly, he's been busy. Uh, apparently, you know, probably busier than both of us. Uh, that's definitely not true. Nobody's busier <laughs> than Nick. <laughs> yeah, it's, hard. it's hard to measure. It's all yeah, it's all yeah. facade. Well, you have to uh, you have to take account into like the coach showers, and then, then Nick is like, man, it's <laughs> yeah. so consistent, and it's like not eating, you know, sugar. <laughs> that sort of thing. Yeah, it's hard. It's, there's some there's some there's some cheat days like everything else. You know, when it's ten degrees out, I might not take a cold shower because it's like ice. <laughs> but you know, other than that, it's pretty consistent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, shame on you then. <laughs> yeah. Uh, All right. Cool. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> go ahead. Oh, sorry. No, I was gonna, I was going to say, yeah. I mean, I have been busy, but yeah. So, uh, publishing. But we'll get into that, right? And we'll get into that exactly. All right, cool. So, well, you know, since we're there, why don't you uh, start us off with Tim? What have you been doing uh, in regards of, say, publishing, content creation, and all that good jazz? Uh, yeah, sure, absolutely. So, um, from well, content creation, of course, I you know I have a YouTube channel, and um, uh, I was you know, lucky enough to do a, a Pluralsight course. Uh, I guess it's been a year, a little over a year now. Um, and right now I'm working on self-publishing a, a second book. I guess it depends. So, so I, I actually, have, I'm curious. Uh, so I, I published before a few technical workbooks on, uh, so lab, lab guides and then lab solutions guides. So technically it's four books, but I really don't just think of it as like one project. So I don't know how you would refer to that. I say four books. I mean, that that's four like physical thing that you hold in your hand, right? So sure, <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. Um, but yeah, so so I am I am working on a, a another book, and I'm hoping to have it out here maybe by the end of February. 
Yeah, what's that book about? What's the new new book uh, that you're writing? I know you've been tweeting about it, but you know, just for, for people who maybe are not familiar with the, your Twitter handle. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I, I'm I haven't 100 picked a, a title yet. I'm working my working title is like the Hybrid Cloud Handbook, mm-hmm. um, and so the idea of it is uh, a lot of network engineers are kind of afraid of either afraid of cloud or just literally do not have time to learn cloud. Like right? they're, right. they're busy fighting fires all the time. Right. So what we're, you know, the, the, all, the aim of this handbook is not to replicate all the training that's out there. It's not to, it's not to give you 40 hours of videos to watch or, you know, 400 page book or something <laughs> to make you an expert. Yeah. It's, it's it actually went kind of the exact opposite direction and said, what if everybody that wanted to, you know, they would learn if they had time, but they don't have time. So let's let's kind of get them what they need to start having conversations. Um, so the the goal of this book is basically to take, you know, concepts from, in this case, it's AWS, cloud right. concepts, cloud networking, uh, boil it down to kind of its, its bare bones, but also make it useful and make it relatable to network engineers that so that they can get up and running and and you know, when they're done with it, they're not going to be experts at, at cloud networking. And that's not really the goal. The goal is more like, okay, well, you're a network engineer, but you need to work with hybrid cloud. You need to be able to do on-prem to cloud, you know, understand basically how to set that up and how to work with cloud teams. Yeah. So so the idea is, you know, here's a handbook, you know, 130 pages, something pretty short. Yeah. That you, can, you can just get, you can get bootstrapped and go uh, and just start working. Yeah, that sounds good. I mean, I think you're Tim. I think you're kind of on the uh, the right poles there, right? I think there's a stat that I read about this morning where, you know, if you look at the pure cloud growth uh, in 2011, I think it was something about 37 and just going like hockey stick. But if you look at the last few years, it was it's trending down. I mean, mm. the, the back in 2011, people think it's just going to go unbounded, just just grow. And like 80% of your apps going to send the cloud and so on. But now more people, more and more people realize it's more like 50%, right? Like it's not all of it that could be. So your, your point about hybrid, uh, you know, hybrid cloud and networking being the fabric that connects the two is uh, spot on, I think. Yeah. So Nick, what, what about you? I mean, you're a, a very accomplished author. So uh, I think, in fact, I think one of the first few encounters of uh, territorial content was your books on, on the Lean Pub and your uh, podcast episode on the uh, front matter. I think that's what they call the podcast. Yeah, that was, that was my first kind of, uh, shall we say, kind of uh, explosive presence into publishing was, you know, that was a, it was a book that was about 3000 pages long. Yeah. And again, you know, to Tim's point, you know, how, I don't really care a whole lot about how you count books, whether it's a yeah. hundred pages or 3000, you know, right. that could be 30 books if you develop, who cares? Like it's a, mm-hmm. I wrote 30, but whatever, man, I mean, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, mm-hmm. a, it's just a number. So, so I did write that. It was obviously very long. It took, you know, six months of just continuous head down effort. Um, you know, one, we can talk about this a little bit later is that a lot of people who publish these days, uh, a lot of them do it, uh, 
because they they love what they do. They enjoy writing. They like to share information. Obviously, there's there's a financial aspect to it, um, but you know there aren't a whole lot of authors that are bringing in pots of gold every month. You know, it's not <laughs> like book publishing isn't like it was you know in the 20th century. Um, there's so many different ways of consuming content. We can talk about that later. But long story short is when you write a book, you don't typically strike strike gold. Mm -hmm. uh, I was really lucky in that my first book actually did. Um, mm -hmm. It was priced very expensive. There was no one else in the market. I was the number one bestseller for nine months straight. Um, it was no contest. It was great. Now, obviously, these days it doesn't sell nearly as well as it did because it's that was six or seven years ago now. But still, uh, it, it is still there. Uh, I went on the podcast to talk about it. Um, you know, some of the early challenges with that was just finding the motivation to write. I knew that I wanted to write, but it was such an enormous undertaking that you never felt like it was going to be done. And, and Tim, I know you've experienced this even on your your Pluralsight course. You know, it, it it feels like it's never going to be over because there's just such an extraordinary amount of work, and I think that's true for any any project worth doing. Really, is that it? it it's especially when you're probably like 25 percent of the way through, where the the initial fire has worn off, and now it's like now you just got to continue. It's like going for a long run. You feel good for about five minutes, but the other 20 <laughs> minutes of it, it's like. You don't want to be here anymore, but yeah, you just started. Burning. It's so easy to quit, you know, yeah, and that's and that's the that's the important thing. And then, of course, since then, there's been all kinds of other stuff, uh, white papers. I think close to forty Pearl site courses, um, six different O'Reilly Live courses, uh, three of which are or actually four of which are brand new, which just started to uh, to come out. So it's been a busy couple, well, busy a busy decade, really. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I've got you know between the the self publishing and publishing with bigger companies and everything in between that'll be some some interesting discussion i think yeah i i see you laughing tim so do you have <laughs> do you have some something to add to that regarding keeping the fire going the motivation and all that no i think i think nick could not have said it better i mean and you i know you feel the way anybody who's really undertaken the whole idea of of writing a book truly writing a book at, 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 has that exact feeling right that that I'm going to write a book, I'm going to, you know, that fire, um, you know, even through the outlining phase where you're putting it all together and like, this is what's going to look like. You, you, once you, once you really get going and, and that fire worn off, you're like, man, I got to finish eating this elephant, right? Like it's, you are, I, I could not say it, have said it better. It, you realize like, oh my God, this is, this is a mountain and I'm, I just have to put one foot in front of the other, you know, to make it up. Yeah, but I think that's the key, right? Like you, you want to uh, break it down into uh, little pieces that mm -hmm. bite, bites that you could, you could, you know, have a concrete goal to work toward, and it's not so big that you don't even want to start. Um, I don't know about you guys. Well, you know, I guess you know you guys have I mentioned, so I'll give a little bit about my background as well. So, um, I I started writing blogs, and then uh, you know, one of the blog ranked pretty well on the subject of. Uh, Ryu controller. I don't even know if you guys heard of it. It's the open flow controller that was a, a Python fork. So back mm. then there was no content out there. And then uh, it was like mainly on the, uh, it's called Pox, but um, uh, the Java version was called Nox. So like there was no content on Pox. And so it would rank pretty high. And then, you know, somebody reached out and said, hey, do you want to write something on network, network uh, and Python? I said, yeah, go ahead. And so I went ahead and, and did that book. And, uh, you know, like Nick, I was, and, and yourself, Tim, that, you know, mm -hmm. to start creating contents on uh, courses. And so it was across like LinkedIn Learning and INE and uh, some of the other, well, Pack itself as well. So 
um, work with traditional publishers as well as I self-published the the Kafka book last year. So, well, I'm sorry, two years ago now. That uh, so th- those are kind of the tie-ins with what we're going to talk about today. But back to what we were discussing is, you know, I think that's the that's the key is just to break it down into uh, little pieces. And also not just for you, but for your reader as well, right? Because, you know, your reader doesn't want to have this long introduction and doesn't get any, get any values until like much later. They want to be able to get that. Okay. Here's what I would get. And then I, I want to go for that specific information or I want to read it cover to cover and, uh, you know, like whichever flow that they choose to be, but it has to be constant value that I get out of this, this content, this book that I'm holding in my hand. Otherwise I'm just going to throw it down. I'm going to put it down and never open it up yeah. again. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, I think, uh, well, you know, it, well, first is, do you guys have any comments on that or is that uh, something that you agree with or, uh, like as far as the TOC? Um, I can say this is that yeah. one thing that. You know, when I first started doing work with Pluralsight in late 2018, uh, and Tim knows this, you know, that the standards for getting to publish there are relatively high. Um, they're very meticulous about you must have exactly one second of silence bef- at the beginning and the end. They, they <laughs> time how much how much silence between your sentences is yeah. closely measured um, because they want it to be a consistent experience. Your audio levels have to be in a very specific range. Yeah. Um, so all that plays into it. But even more important than the kind of technical aspects of the the con like the you know the AV aspects is also when you do your very first module in your first course, you don't want to just drone on endlessly about theory, especially if it's a technical course, like a how-to, how to configure something or whatever. You want to get into the demos almost right away. And it's almost hard because like I can't you you can't just immediately start banging on a computer and it's like, okay, here's the topology or here's the business problem. But the challenge is explaining all that stuff in less than five minutes Mm -hmm. you don't have to explain all of it but just enough to start so sometimes i might say okay here's the business problem we're going to do some python coding but before we do that let's do a quick three minute demo and we're just going to set up our file system on linux not even any python we're going to create some directories we're going to initialize a git repo just the stuff that isn't even related to python because it's like okay we break we broke the monotony of just talking about stuff we did a little bit now we'll start talking about the project. We'll talk about what kind of Python structure do we want. Maybe we can create uh, some empty classes or functions or whatever. You, you get the idea. We can slowly build up rather than let's talk about it for 30 minutes and then spend an hour in the lab. Because if you, if you do it that way, you're going to have a huge drop off in engagement. People are going to get bored. They're not going to see how this fits together. And it's also going to seem overwhelming because you just told them, all this work they have to do and you didn't even give them a chance to start it. So you don't, so there's not this feeling of progress. Um, you, if you do that, you're probably going to do poorly. So trying to integrate hands-on or interesting content almost immediately is, is sometimes difficult. Um, I think all of us have read technical books that you'll read for 10 pages and not see a single, a single diagram. And you're just like, Oh my, you know, it hurts, especially if it's a very technical topic. So integrating that as part of your content is a really important piece. Yeah. Do you see any difference between, um, you know, achieving that with courses uh, versus books? So one thing that I think it's kind of difficult for uh, book authors to do is kind of be uh, having stats on, you know, how far the the people have gone through. Is it like a page 10 that they drop off or page 10, uh, page 20 that they drop off? But I guess in the in the digital content, especially for a course or a live course in that matter, right? Like you get that feedback right away and then you can improve it next time, perhaps. 
Yeah, it's harder to get the feedback. Um, you know, personally, I know I know there are. Uh, you know, that what's interesting is that at least within the Pluralsight author community, there's a really wide uh, diversity of personalities when it comes to people who care a lot about the metrics, people who are actively using chat GPT to help them write transcripts, people who are trying to automate their entire delivery pipeline, like people, people who see courses as industrial productions to be optimized. That's kind of one extreme. And then there's the other extreme of just people just like, hey, I like to do content. I'm just going to record it and edit and then whatever. People yeah. who don't even look at the stats. They don't even look at the royalties. Um, and, and sometimes people change. You know, I was I was more towards the the highly technical aspect when I started, but mm-hmm. now it's like, you know what? I don't really care. I'm just going to do what I want. I know people are enjoying my content. I've already figured out how to do it. I don't need to look at the metrics every other day. I don't need to try to forecast how, I'm gonna, how much I'm going to earn because I'm going to get the check. I don't really care. So <laughs> I've kind of changed my personality on it. But some people are very, you know, have a different opinion, and that's fine. Yeah. Um, so for me personally. Uh, I, I hate to give this kind of annoying answer of I don't care uh, mm-hmm. because I know that if the con- if I if I arrange the content in a certain way, the people who really want to learn it are going to stick with it. And again, in terms of books, you know, obviously you would do something like including diagrams or code snippets or trying to write in a way that's interesting rather than just uh, didactic droning on. But I think for people who who do want to see where did the drop off happen, because that feedback can be important. Where do I need to make improvements? Where did I where did I have a bad diagram, or where did I introduce um, a, a coding technique that is really not well explained? So that feedback actually is important, and I don't mean to be uh, dismissive or crass about it. Um, it's just that for me, um, that kind of drop off, and even though those statistics are available, I find that the best way to overcome that is to engage with people and f- talk to them either through social media or in the course discussions or. Uh, forums or whatever other mechanism you have for it. And when people ask questions, you'll what I tend to see is that the, the topics that people ask questions about the most tend to be the things you explained the worst. That's not always true. Sometimes the topics are just harder. But when I look back at some of my books, what, for example, when I first published my, my first book, I was getting a lot of questions on one topic, which wasn't even a hard topic. And mm-hmm. I realized it's because I had some really critical typos in my book. Like mm. router one would do this to router two, but it was really router two to router three. Like mm. that's that's devastating in a yeah. network book. Um, and that that was some of the issues that I had, and it was really hurting people, really causing confusion, even though it was a simple topic. So yeah. in my case, it was poorly explained because of a technical error. Um, so I don't, you know, I didn't I didn't have any technical metrics on where it was happening, but just the the feedback of having people talk to me served as a useful proxy than a more detailed and uh, technical response system. That's a good, that's a good point. So Tim, I know you've been passing out, you know, like drafts, right, to people for beta, beta readers and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, I, what, what are your thoughts on that, friend? I actually think, uh, yeah, I think that's spot on. And I was going to say the same, which is I just went through a technical and um, I don't know what you'd call it. It's not technical, like technical I, reviews or not only technical review, but like uh, flow or whatever, you, you know, like, hey, you know, you didn't explain this well. I, I, there's a term sure. for it, and I can't remember. It's just like flowing out of my head here. Where you're looking for flow, like did did I explain this right? Did I, you know, there's the technical piece, like R1, R2, that type of stuff, and there's also yep. the the flow stuff. So I, I just went through this, and I collected all the feedback, and uh, you know, some of it I was like, I don't know about this, and some of it I was like, oh my god, wow, holy crap, how did I miss that? And <laughs> a lot of it was in the middle where I actually was like, all right, you know, I'm, I got on the fence on this. Let me see what everybody else thinks. And I actually went through the 
each piece of feedback. And if more than one person brought it up, I'm like, all right, so I got to focus here. So more than yeah. one person has mentioned this is a problem. Like, but but 100% what Nick said, right? It, you know, with a with a course, you can you know it's easier to engage people and get that feedback with a with a book. You know, you can always release a new version or errata or update it. With digital, you're doing an ebook, you can update the digital version. You know, that's really easy. But certainly getting that feedback. Uh, you got to get it in front of people that are willing to spend the time to to give you that feedback. Yeah, sure. I mean, we'll get into it a li- in a little bit. But um, with nowadays, most of the books, even in the printer format, it's print on demand, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, even even if it's not digital, it's not the end of the world. If you have like some typos, you could still correct it, upload the new version. So the next batch of, you know, I guess prints that, that they would do, they would still get the updated version. Um, but I want to pull it back into uh, kind of the the whys, right? Like so we we want to start with the why as well. Mm-hmm. So why, and, and I also want to qualify as what we're talking about technical books, right? Like being in writing cohorts, it's almost like day and night between, you almost have to say this is a, a, a nonfiction or fiction, right? So if you're in the writing group, and every approach underneath are so different. Like if you're writing a fiction, like people talk about, like hiding your identity to keep that mystery, right? Like don't go on book tours and sign. But, you know, in a, in a nonfiction, like a technical book, that's t- completely different. So I want to qualify our conversation. All three of us are writing nonfiction technical books. So um, so why don't we start with you, Nick? Uh, why did you choose to publish a, a, a book? What, what, what was your why? Um, so my, I, I'll be honest, it was very kind of opportunistic at the time. Sorry. My logic okay. was I was... I was studying for my second CCIE and service mm-hmm. provider at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were really no materials from anyone anywhere on it. Uh, this was right around the time. Uh, well, I won't get into it, but there was a, a large training provider that actually went on a business right around that time after promising to sell a book. There was it was a, it was a tumultuous time uh, for the CCIE training environment. And there was nothing, yeah. but at the same time, uh, a new version of the exam came out that looked extremely difficult, and very few people were even attempting it. So yeah. I was like, let me see if I can do this. Um, again, this was before I, uh, before I had kids. So right, it's a totally different lifestyle at that point. Um, <laughs> so I was able to spend a lot of time on it, and I figured, you know, I'm going through and learning all this stuff, and I'm already, I'm typing all the commands, I'm collecting all this info. It wouldn't really take that much more for me to just explain what's already in my head. Like I've already invested the mental effort to think about it and understand it, and I've already invested the physical effort with my fingers to type all the commands and reveal it. All I need to do is type a little bit more to explain what I already know, which really, it's not mentally difficult, it just takes some time, and copy and paste the, the show outputs over here. Uh, and that's really, I mean, I, I'm, I'm kind of minimizing the difficulty. It still was hard, but cognitively, I already knew what it was because I had just, you know, the real pain was learning it because it was all mm-hmm. new stuff. And mm-hmm. I just copy it into a document put some structure around it and here's a book. Now, I don't necessarily recommend that approach because I will be the first to say that my first book, even though it was technically dense and very useful, was very poorly organized. There was no strategy. Uh, it was just, oh, here's this. Here's this other thing. Let's just do it in whatever order. And I actually criticized myself in one of my live courses and I pull up my table of contents and I say, look at this trash. You know, this is just, it's just the reality of it. And I'm, I, I freely admit that. Um, but that was the reason I did it, and I realized that you know I was going to be a father soon, and I figured, well, maybe this book can help out with some of the some of the expenses of being a dad, especially where I live. I uh, just like did my taxes a couple of days ago, <laughs> and I paid thirty five thousand dollars in daycare. 
pay yeah. just daycare. So yeah. huge, huge money. Uh, and I was like, let me see if I can if I can offset that a little bit. So there was a, obviously a financial need. I knew that the market was relatively small. I mean, how many people are studying for CCI service provider at any given time and are serious enough to make uh, $100 or $1,000 investments in their studies? It's probably only a few thousand people in the world. Um, there were other providers in the market. Not everyone was going to know about my book. I figured, let me see if I can capture maybe a quarter of this market. And I think that's about what I did because the numbers that I forecasted, that the sales that I forecasted even seven years ago is roughly what I saw. So I would reasonably assume that I captured between a, a quarter and a third of that market with my book. Then a year later, we had some new entrants into the market. I, uh, INE came out with some content. Narbic came out with some content. A few other guys in Poland came out with content that I ended up partnering with. So once people started to figure out that there was a market here, you know, my sales got divided by 10, of course. Um, mm -hmm. And that's just the reality of being in book publishing. And Tim, maybe this is something you can talk about, so I don't take up all the airtime. Is uh, assessing the market demand, you know, because cloud is one of those things. It's kind of the opposite of CCI service provider, where we have a small kind of niche market with a few players that are trying to, you know, make money off people doing high dollar stuff. Versus cloud, there's tons and tons of low cost or free training. It seems like everyone's writing books on clouds these days because the demand is so large. And even though the demand may be waning a little bit. It's still an enormously popular technology. So maybe you can give some insight as to um, kind of your own internal market assessment and desires for writing cloud-specific books. I'd be interested to hear that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, although, let me take one second because I wanted to add to because your uh, thing about mentioning that you were studying for your service provider and that's where you got started on that book resonates really well for me because that's that's actually how I started writing my uh, Lisbon VXLAN workbooks, actually. I was studying it for SDA for Cisco because I was uh, I was in the CPOC and I, I was building SDA fabrics and stuff. And I was like, man, I really need to know how this all works. And I was labbing it and labbing it, labbing it. And I did exactly what you did. Um, I, I was like, man, I've already done all the effort. I'm like 90% of the way there. Let me just put this on paper and create a workbook out of it. So just, I, I wanted to say that was a, you know, I don't know if that's the normal pipeline for creating technical material, but uh, at least for both of us, it seems like it was. Did, didn't didn't I review that? Didn't you ask me to review that? I'm pretty sure you did. I think you, you took a look at it. Because I remember reading that. It's been a couple of years, but I definitely remember seeing that. Yeah, it was, I mean, it, and, it, and it did, it did well. Uh, I'm still, I still get sales from it and, and whatnot. Um, but yeah. But if you did it again, if you did it again today, it would be organized completely differently, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. I completely. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's my point. Same idea. Yeah. Yeah. Completely. Now for the, it being a workbook, I did have a, a flow, which is like, you know, first you do this, this is the phrase part of the fabric. And then you have to do this part. Cause I mean, it just to build it, you had to do it in that order. But I agree. I would have a. I would have probably approached it differently from a from a layout and, and all of that perspective. So I agree with that. Um, yeah. But let me let me get on to your and not to take up too much time. But let me let me get on to your original question. So this is this is actually really good because I spent a good amount of time saying to myself like, why would you write a book about this? There are like AWS gives away training, um, you know, and there's like. You know, there's big there's big players in this market. What what do you have to offer that nobody else has got? And truthfully, I think the biggest thing and, and at the same time, sorry, at the same time, you know, I'm in multiple network communities. We 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 all are, and I'm hearing from the same the same complaints from network engineers, which is like, hey man, I I just don't have time to spend, you know, 60 hours watching AWS training videos and and <laughs> and, and doing all this. 
And, and the two kept rubbing up against each other. And I'm like, you know what? That's a good point. There's an underserved market here of network engineers that simply don't have, they're fighting fires all day. They don't have 100 hours to spend on AWS training. They don't even want to, right? They're not looking to be cloud experts. They're not looking to necessarily make a transition. They just want to be able to work with the rest of the enterprise team and get the stuff done. So, you know, I said, I started putting out feelers. Hey guys, like, does anybody, if, if, if this existed, you know, would this be helpful? And overwhelmingly the answer was like, oh my God, I wish I had this today. I would, I, I would spend two hours reading a book and know enough that I could go work with my cloud teams and I would be so happy. Like that would be, yeah. so. Yeah, I think so you're, you're addressing a skills gap not necessarily a career change or a, a break into tech scam, right? <laughs> You're addressing a very specific uh, skills gap. Yeah. Right. I, I, I like both of what you said, right? Like you 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 have the eyes or, or the mindset to detect a underserved segment of the market. And then you, uh, and especially what you describe, but you try to find out if there's a, a product market fit as far as, you know, what people wanted before you like fully jump into this whole project, uh, way smarter than me. Right. <laughs> so, so that's great. Um, but I would, I would kind of argue, Nick, that, um, maybe you started out with, uh, you know, like opportunistic and, and market and uh, same, same question to you, Tim as well. Mm -hmm. But later on, I think it becomes, uh, would you say a, a tool that you know created your own brand and kind of adventure a career in a way that you did not expect, or maybe even planting a flag that to establish authority. So uh, why don't we start with you, Nick? Um, do you yeah, think that kind of changed? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the, the the first thing. I mean, when I when I when you write your first book, you don't know that you're going to start doing this a lot. Yeah, you, know, you don't sure. know that it's going to turn into a career. You don't know that you're going to become a professional. Because if it flops, you may not. You may decide that you know I tried it; it really wasn't for me. It's kind of like joining the military. You do you do one tour. You're like you know that was cool, but I don't want to stay in for twenty kind of thing. It's just it's fine, right? Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Um. Now for me, after I wrote that first book, I kind of vanished for about two years. Uh, I shouldn't say vanished. I mean, I've still there were some other things going on, but they were relatively mild. Uh, I was very focused on a work task, and it was actually important because at that one specific network and with the people I was working with, it was. Really turbocharging my existing expertise. You know, I, by that point, I already had two CCIEs and a CCDE, so I knew yeah. a lot. But yeah. I was able to every single day for two years was able to apply that level of knowledge from all three of those domains of expertise and automation into a real life network with really significant global impact uh, for years straight, at least a year, maybe a year and a half. And when that project started to slow a little bit, and my role. Uh, started to be forced out, which by the way is a good thing. Like if you if you need someone like me, and I know this sounds a little bit self-aggrandizing, but if you need someone like me to keep your network alive forever, you have a bad network. <laughs> I so I managed to work myself out of a job, which is exactly what I wanted to do. Really, over time, build the automation, do you know, make sure everything is healthy, the network doesn't fail. Okay, we don't need you around anymore. All right, great. Uh, once that happened, and I went back to doing uh, more kind of uh, we'll call it generic work uh, within Cisco. Uh, it was around that time that I started speaking at Cisco Live. I started doing live courses. This was around the summer, fall of 2018, so about four and a half years ago. Mm -hmm. This is when all that started. And then from that point forward, uh, I tried to leverage the existing goodwill I had built between Cisco Live sessions, uh, various kind of webinar-type trainings I had done within different network communities, the, you know, the, the small amount of things I had published before then, 
and turned it into something much larger between the Pluralsight courses, uh, future books that were written, um, all the free resources. You, you guys know what I do. So all that stuff, the vast majority of it happened within the past four and a half years. Yeah. Um, so long story short, it, it really did transition into more of the brand building thing. And I know, Eric, we talked about this, I think, last time I was on the show in yep. October of 2021. I was like, page where, one to two show notes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it, it, the I've said it before. I'll just say it briefly. I don't want to be too much of a broken record, but no, go ahead. your action, your actions in the community define what your brand is. And yeah. if you are, you know, like Eric, I see you, you have a community builder there. That's a completely valid thing to do. And the actions that you take, like running a podcast and all kinds of other things you can do in service of that goal, the brand that you build for yourself are reinforced by those decisions. Uh, it's like in most, probably most of us and, mo- you know, one of the best selling books of modern times is uh, James Clear's Atomic Habits. You guys have probably read that. Everyone's read it. Um, and in the book, he talks about when you do something to reinforce your habit, that's a, a vote for the person you want to be. And when you do something that contradicts the habit that you want, that's a vote against yourself. So it's kind of that same idea. Every time I publish a new packet capture, every time I publish a new advanced Pluralsight course, every time I do something that reinforces my brand as a technical expert, uh, then I'm giving, I'm giving those votes to myself. You know, when I do things that contradict that, you know, getting into arguments on Twitter or being a drama queen or just doing things that turn me into more of what I'll call a tech fluencer, right? That's not what I am. I never want to be seen as that. Uh, you know, that's, that is, that detracts from the brand I try to build. So the works that you produce, the topics that you cover and the depth to which you cover them and the mechanisms by which you sell them all contribute to that reputation. Yeah. For sure. I mean, I, I, I'm a huge fan of James Clear. And, you know, I think what he talked about, you're trying to focus on the person you want to be. And it, in line with what you're talking about, Nick, you focus on the person you want to be and all the action just going toward that person rather than fo- focus on the point goals where, oh, I'm going to publish two packet captures. I'm going to publish three books, but I'm just going to be a well established, uh, you know, well rounded person who helps everybody out or something like that. Uh, what about you, Tim? I mean, uh, did, do you think that goal kind of changed? Because you were saying, you know, kind of in the same opportunistic goal role as well, where you, hey, I already have these content. I might as well just put it in. But did that change on your second book now that you're writing it? Um, well, I, I, first of all, I want to uh, just, you know, agree that uh, what you do definitely defines who you are. This This industry that we're in, is too freaking everybody thinks it's like this giant industry with millions of people. Maybe that's true. But the, the truth is that, uh, you know, everybody kind of knows everybody to some degree. It's like six degrees of Kevin Bacon over here. Like everybody, <laughs> you find that everybody knows everybody and everybody knows, uh, everybody's like habits and, and just who they are. So I definitely would agree that, uh, like who, you know, what you produce and, and how you produce it and how you treat people and all of that, like all of that is part of your brand, whether you, you know, more, more so than, you know, you actually putting out something for a brand, uh, is so, so that's, um, but anyway, to, to answer your question, um, so, I mean, we, we, I, I produce lots of stuff that, and I engage with community and, and all of that. And there's a lot I do when I don't, you know, there's no money and there's no money changing hands or whatever. I'm, I'm very active in the, you know, like some several, uh, discord and network engineering communities with, you know, earlier in career people and, you know, try to help them along. And, you know, Nick and I both have done that for, for years. 
Um, and because that's literally how you, that's how you really build a brand to me, not, not come out with a, a cool logo or whatever, but how you build an actual brand involves with how, how you interact with the community and how the community sees you over time. Um, but yeah, so, so I guess everything you do, I guess, I guess my short answer is that everything, everything you really actually do is where your brand comes from. And, you know, yeah, I guess it does become more, I, I have a hard time thinking of it as branding, but I, I guess at the <laughs> end of the day, it is branding. I mean, it is, um, you know, I have a blog, Carpe Diem VPN and everything and like, it's got a name and it's a brand and all of that. Right. But, um, I don't know if I gave a good, I don't know if that's a good answer. Or no, not. I mean, it's an honest answer, right? It's authentic. And it's, it's clearly what you thought about when, uh, when I asked you that question. So I think that's a good answer. Uh, and the reason I asked is because I think it definitely changed and it's like, it's a little bit of everything, right? It's like it's a little bit of documentation. It's a little bit of sharing information, but it's also to establish authority and maybe it's a little bit of side income. Maybe I could inspire other people, but um, I, you know, mainly for me is just to kind of gauge what you guys thought about as the main reason, right? When I asked that question, what is the number one thing that, that come to your mind? And to me, it's all for you guys is uh, sharing information and just kind of to inspire and elevate this community, which is great. Yeah. So um, I think that's kind of a good part to end the part one of our conversation. So I think, you know, we, we will continue this conversation in part two in the next episode. Well, thank you both for being on the show on part one. I know, you know, I gained a lot out of it. So we'll, we'll continue this conversation. Thanks for listening to the Network Automation Nerds podcast today. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and all the other podcast platforms. Until next time. Bye-bye. Thank you.